Welcome to the first ever Monarchs on the Road podcast, Season 1, Episode 1. From Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, home of the 2021 Myrtle Beach Bowl featuring Old Dominion University and Tulsa, this is the Monarchs on the Road podcast. I'm Ted Alexander, along with Andy Mishaw, James Witham, Eric Bohannon. Gentlemen, we're in Myrtle Beach. We're doing the first one of these. We've done some social media stuff, and we're getting closer to game time. Andy, pick a topic and yap. So quiet. There's no band blaring. There's no crowd outside. It's a low-budget operation, season one, episode one. No band. (laughs) Yeah, we talk about stuff that's gone on throughout this season. We've seen a lot of stuff. We recap some stuff, some records that we've seen come down, some guys who are very close to records. We've seen this team grow right in front of us. I mean, turn from a team that was struggling to get anything straight you see him kind of making progress and kind of getting over the hill and then a team that couldn't be stopped once the second half of the season started thank you and hope you enjoyed the first podcast <laughs> no that's very good uh james your thoughts as we head into this thing I-, I don't know how you guys feel but just overall start to finish this might be the screwiest season of monarch football we've ever had i mean we've we've had some screwy games in the past right like the new hampshire game the the western kentucky game things like that in years past but overall season wise some of the stuff that's happened in this season i don't think i've seen ever and certainly not all happening in the same season there's been some wild stuff this year makes it rather entertaining for us to have had the opportunity to watch and talk about and try and put into words it's been nuts eric bohannon sid the football contact keeps all the media for all the sports rocking and rolling and keeps an especially close eye on the numbers eric this has been a zany year from your end of it hasn't it it really has ted and this is how you finish a season beautiful hotel beautiful weather right here on the beach the only drivable bowl tie-in that Old Dominion has, this is where you want to be to finish the season. When you think about this team, all right, 1-11 in 2019. Bobby Wilder leaves. New staff comes in. No football in 2020. One of a handful of schools, only a handful, that actually said, you know what, this COVID thing, we aren't, we're out. Uh, and you bring in the new coach, and he has that opportunity during that funky time to get to know his gig, his staff, his players, his university. But then we got to play. Thoughts going in to this 2021 campaign. We knew Wake Forest was the the date circled on the calendar. But, Andy, what did you expect as we came into this? It was a big shrug. I mean, you don't know what to expect. Because, I mean, on one hand, you're thinking – if there's going to be a time where you could take a year off, there's never a good time for that. But if there's going to be a time and you got a brand new coaching staff, you got a bunch of new players in, you got a bunch of transfers in, you got some of the seniors that were critical pieces that just left to the transfer portal when we didn't play. And you got all these holes to fill. So if you got to piece all that together and try to figure out how it comes together and how to, how to make it gel – Having a full year off might not have been the worst time to do that. Now, nobody wants to do that, but at the same time, you know, then again, you come out and it looks like you just took a year off. I mean, <laughs> that's true. Granted, it was against Wake Force, and nobody knew how good Wake was going to be. It turns out they were very good, but still, it looked like they were rusty. It looked like they just needed to get rolling. They needed to have something going there. And then they got a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And, yeah, they were still losing, but they were close games. They were wacky things. You could see it coming. You could see this team was – if they could just hold it together and get over that first hump, that first win, you sort of had the feeling it was going to domino into a whole bunch of others. Wake Forest ended up 10-3 and three overall, 7-1, and one, lost to a pit to the ACC Championship. Nine, game. I think, so, they finished. So they, they were just really good. Uh, they led 28-3 to three at the half. So the first version is like, okay, we kind of thought this might happen. We hope it wouldn't, but we thought it could happen, and it did. Uh, Monarchs had a little offense going with Hayden Wolf at the end of the, the game, James. And, and, you know, you walked out there losing 42-10. to, two to 10. You expected to drive home from Winston-Salem with an L, but uh, you at least got the, got the car out of the garage for the first time in a while. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, too. Like, think about, like, when you take your lawnmower out for the first time of the season, right? <laughs> you, you're pulling on it several times. You're like, why won't this thing start? Oh, yeah, because it's been sitting in my shed 
for, for months and it's been cold and things like that. And then imagine you moved to a place where you didn't have grass at all, but you kept the lawnmower just in case you moved back, right? So you're talking like a year and a half since you've used the lawnmower and that thing's just not going to start in the first pull. You got to be ready for that thing to struggle a little bit at first. And I think that, you know, the Monarchs, that's what they did. They especially and, and how about this, fellas? You didn't play at all last year. Your first game is going to be against a team that's going to be in the ACC championship game. Good luck. I'm not sure that's a fair barometer to test what this team is going to be like throughout a season very good point very good point eric from your end you have to get to know a, a, a head coach as quickly as possible you are work as closely with the head football coach as anybody on campus does uh how was that getting used to a, a new guy and a new system for the first time in many moons but a system that had a pandemic to deal with it, it was really weird because instead of doing practice interviews and things like that you're doing zoom interviews on okay you're not playing so what are you doing and and that was really weird not only for for ricky ronnie but also the people interviewing him because they really didn't know what to ask uh so you get into a groove there a little bit and you get through the 15 practices in the fall and then you finally start to get into some sense of normalcy with a real spring ball then you finally get through that and it's and it's football again and you're you're back into what you've done all of your life and Playing football in 2021 felt like somewhat back to normal. A little bit back to normalcy. First home game of the year was against Hampton. Monarchs expected to win that. And, and you know, expectations are a whole other podcast probably. But uh, with Hampton coming to town, you're thinking we've had some tight games with them before. Uh, I remember some rainy games against Hampton yep. and stuff. And each team over 500 yards and all that stuff. It could have gone crazy. It didn't go crazy. Monarchs rushed for a school record, Eric, 358 yards on the ground. That's pretty big stuff. And you could see against Wake Forest, yes, it was a 42-10 to 10 loss, but you could see some bright spots with the running game. Elijah Davis had some good runs. Blake Watson had some good runs. Against Hampton, John Luke Peeker had 141 yards. So dominant run game. Ricky Ronnie has said all season long that the offensive line is really, really good. In that game, it really showed. And that one, it – it didn't matter who was out there. I mean, you could have put DeVry out there, and it wouldn't have mattered because at that point you just come off – you had one win in two years. In two years. Yeah. And it was against yeah. Norfolk State. And it was so long ago. It didn't matter who was out there. Any win was going to feel great at that point. Just get something on that column of the scoreboard. And think about this too. We've seen this team in the past, in past regimes – that didn't, as they say, handle their business. And I think of the Norfolk State game a couple of years ago where it was a lot closer than it probably should have been. And this might have been, you know... The last you, win. When you look back, too, you think to yourself, well, maybe this was a sign that this team was different because they went out there and they handled their business in school record fashion, albeit, you know, against an, an FCS opponent against Hampton. But this is a team that d did what... FBS teams are supposed yeah, exactly. to do and handled their business. That's what you're supposed to do against those kind of teams. You're and in the to past, well, you're, to take your, your points well taken, because in the past that didn't always happen. Right. All right. Liberty waxed us when we were down in Lynchburg last time, uh, and had a heck of a quarterback who put on a great performance. And Monarchs. 45-17 to 17 on the short end. I don't know if it was a waxing, but they were in control from start to finish. You kind of got the sense at that point that this defense wasn't as bad as the numbers that they were seeing because the offense, again, is struggling. The offense is, is fighting turnovers, which turned into short fields. And you played against what was going to be a top-10 team in Wake Forest. You know, you're playing against a guy who's probably going to be a first-round pick in in – the quarterback there at Liberty just flinging stuff all over the place. And it was it was one of those things where the defense is fighting. They're, they're, they're holding back, and then but there's only so much you can do. When, they, when you keep getting short fields and you when keep playing good teams, fields, you better play well. And Malik Willis is doing this to everybody. So, I mean, right. it's, it, you kind of got the sense, though, a little bit. Even though it was a lot of points on the board, you know, if we can get a little help from the offense, things could go differently. And communication on the practice field is completely different than communication in a game. So you had a defense while they were playing well. At the same time, when you play a player like Malik Willis, who goes off script so much like that, communication is so key. And we saw that in the secondary earlier on in the season, as I, I think, and how much better they played throughout the season. And that communication with those guys who, again, didn't play last year, didn't get a whole lot of time 
to work on those things in in-game situations. And you get against a guy like Malik Willis, who's running all over the place, and by the way, can throw the ball really well, too. You know, that can lead to some struggles. And that's another thing that you, I mean, I guess it's learning the hard way, but you see how that pays dividends later on. I think one of the intangibles of all this is when you don't play, What? what sh- where does it show up? Well, remember, you had a first-year coaching staff figuring out how to do the game stuff, and everybody's in different roles. You had a lot of young players, and Eric, you can give me the numbers on how inexperienced this Monarch football team was, but they're still figuring it out. And you can't expect against good teams for this young team, first-year head coach, still trying to figure it out, to be able to hit on all cylinders because they didn't. You got more than 50 guys on this team that had never played college football before. Not only that, you had youngest to- uh, coaching staff in the country that are in new roles, coordinator roles, position coach roles. Four of these guys were GAs in 2019 because, oh, yeah, once again, we didn't play in 2020. So all of this new acclimation, and in game three, it still take this stuff takes takes time. All right, here's, here's, here's the thing, though. This is why this is where we head to, off to crazy town. All right, the Buffalo game, because this was a team. All right, okay, yeah, Liberty's good, and Malik Willis, and yeah, Wake Forest is good, and we did what we were supposed to do against Hampton. Here comes Buffalo. We can take care of Buffalo, and it's thirty-five freaking seven at the half, and the Monarchs (laughs) were getting blown out of their own building. But again, this is another one of those instances where if you're looking at the Monarch team that we saw in 2019, and that happens, that game is maybe 70 to 7 because and I'm not saying that the team would have given up I would never say that but you know you you kind of lose your way a little bit in games like that sometimes for so for them to even kind of make it close and get to that point to where you know you're an extra point away from going to overtime again to me a good sign that this team's headed in the right direction well and again this was a coming into the game Buffalo had taken Coastal Carolina right. down to the yep. wire. Yep. Was, now Buffalo ended up becoming they're, what they were. They're playing the best all their, their season that day. Correct. And, and that part of the season. Uh, so it's it's the defense in the second half. They gave up 40 yards in the second half. And, and Dan, James, he's talked about it a game or two earlier. The defense starting to get it a little bit. Maybe the first half rusty against Liberty or, or tr- still figuring it out, but better a little bit in the second half there. 40 yards, Eric. You keep these numbers. That's nothing. <laughs> That's not, what, two first downs I think Buffalo had in the second half in that game, and, and they were remarkable. It's it's almost like, man, what happened in the first half? Um, but so the defense t- plays better, and you really start to see tight end Zach Kuntz mm-hmm. play like what we see the rest of the season. Andy, what, the comeback, it was 35-7. Then there 19 seconds to go, and the Monarchs are down just seven. What an incredible comeback. And, and for the fans that left, I'm, I, I wasn't a fan that left when I went to games as a kid and that type of thing. We didn't leave. But those that left missed a great show. Yeah. And those that were there were really rocking. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the other thing is that whole thing started with DJ Mack. When he took off in that 40-yard touchdown run, even then, I mean, it, we were still you know 20 points down by then. But that spark, that was yep, the one that yep. got him going. And that's also the time we had, this building is very loud. Yes, even there's nobody really in it. It was really loud. There's nobody here, but it sounds like it's jammed. Keep this in mind, a little sidelight, put in the pin in this. The only year that stadium was open, the first year, 2019, 1-11 team. Yep. It didn't get as loud as it can get. No. Right. Right. I don't 2020, think you don't play. This year, we get off to the slow starter for whatever reason. We haven't jammed the place yet, but it gets loud, people, and we're just taking this baby out. Yeah, we're waiting to hear. We're waiting to hear how loud it can really get. If you were one of those people that came to any of these games and made the noise, we heard you, the players heard you, and just imagine what it's going to be like when we can – Pack the joint. How about what again. it's going to be like when Virginia Tech comes oh, in there yeah. to start the season? <laughs> good, year's season good, luck. <laughs> good luck, fellas. So the touchdown pass, 35 34, oh, 19 seconds play. to go. Mm-hmm. And the celebration thing, which I think is one of those calls in football you could make either every time or none of the times. Yeah. Just watch later in that same game when the other sideline rushed yeah. and all that type of stuff. Yep. But we're flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct by the letter of the law. It was the correct call. They moved the extra point back, and it goes wide, and the game's over. It's funny, too, because I, I love what 
Coach Ronnie said after that game. He said, you know, I should have I should yep. have been there. I should have been able to handle that. And and one of the things I really love about Coach Ronnie is is that he throughout the season owned the fact that hey, I'm still learning this too. And he makes no apologies for it nor should he. He's he's saying I I need to learn in these moments. And I think that we even saw throughout the season talking not just the players, for the coach as well. We saw him learn we we saw him call timeouts in situations where he hadn't previously later on in the season. And and while for us and for fans it, it's it sucks in the moment. You go, well, maybe you need to go through that to be able to learn how to win games differently later on. And I promise you that will never happen again under a Ricky Ronnie <laughs> Nope, <coach> never, <laughs> never. He's going to tackle players That's before right. they get on the side. But that the biggest point of this game was not that they, they couldn't finish it, but what they learned that they could come back. They learned that, yeah, we got down. Our offense can put points up. We can come back and we can win. We're not going to get down when we get down even big. We're just going to keep rolling because we know we have the confidence and we've done it before. And then came UTEP, the trip to El Paso, which is always met with mixed emotions by everybody. I happen to love the town of El Paso. I think it's neat and unique and whatever. It's a pain in the neck to get there and get out of there. But I've always enjoyed my time there and had some really funky games to do, both basketball and football. This time, the Monarchs go out there looking to uh, get back on track against a Miners team that was playing some of its best football of the season, Andy. Yeah, they were were rolling, and they were excited because, I mean, you looked at that building – it looked a lot like us in, in that they were starting to get it rolling again, but the fans still hadn't caught on yet because yep. they had been so down for so long. It's going to take them a minute to realize hey, this, this team doesn't stink anymore. They're actually pretty good. So, I mean, the excitement was starting to build at that point for them. They still weren't convinced, but it was starting to build, and you can see this was a very good football team. And this is where the screwiness really starts, right? You got the block punt. For the t- for the AC touchdown, AC White baby touched tight end to tight end on the yeah. block, and then AC White scoops it up for the score, and that kind of to me started the whole. And also, I think in that game is when we haven't talked about drops yet. We certainly saw yeah. early yeah. on young receivers dropping passes, and that and, and that again is a product of you know game situation versus practice. To me, this was the game where it seemed like things were starting to turn around. In that regard, maybe not fully, but it was really starting to come around a little bit more. And and we, you were one. I remember towards the end of the game, we were just a whisper away from actually being able to tie that game. Yeah, we had it driving. down seventeen. It we're was down seventeen. Nothing. It was very, and, and 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 you know what? What was the moniker that we come up with after that? Oh, we got him right where we want him. Yeah. After Buffalo, oh, clearly we got him right where we want him, sort of thing. Because this team was just starting to be used to coming back. But I think that. The, Again, the baby steps were starting to be shown in this. Well, and in my world, you look at the stats of this game, and Old Dominion led 21-20 midway fourth quarter, and UTEP outgained Old Dominion by 50 yards. Old Dominion rushing offense, known for their running game, ran for 88 yards in this game. The offense passed for 200 yards. So the the defense and the special teams really kept Old Dominion in a game they really should have had no business being in. And a game where UTEP's backup quarterback ended up coming in late, and that's what led them Circus to go pass. ahead and score. Yeah. yeah. All right, so the thing that will stick with me about the UTEP game is the trip afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> and and this this is this is the the headline of that. We could we could all talk about that for hours. And the moral of the story is you never want a plane to take off if it's not ready to take off and it hasn't been checked out and all that type of stuff. That's, that's a given. But we got to the airport and were put on the plane at a roughly 2 o'clock Eastern time, 2 a.m. Eastern time. And I, I always keep my watch on Eastern time, and, and this is I keep track of this stuff. And so we get on there, and we took off for Norfolk at 4.45 in the morning. That's a two hour and 45 yeah. minutes sitting on the tarmac. Now, here's the deal that's highlighted by the fact that it's UTEP. It's a four hour flight once you get up in the air. If you aren't in the air yet, that's awful. And I'm sitting there to myself after a tough loss where they battled back. Mm-hmm. And as Eric said, had that lead in the fourth quarter, lost the game. Here these guys are on this plane facing a four-hour trip back, and suddenly it's a two-hour and 40-freaking-five-minute yeah. yeah. nobody's-going-anywhere thing. 
I was coming out of my skin. But these student-athletes weren't. And they weren't being a pain in the neck. And they weren't being disrespectful or impatient or grumpy or immature. They were just sort of hanging out, talking to their friends. And that day I learned that not only can these guys suck it up and show us great heart on the gridiron, but showed us some gentlemanship, if that's a word, in the plane or off the gridiron. And you take that cue from your head coach. And Ricky Ronnie was calm and relaxed that entire time. And the players see that. And they're also calm. You know, one thing that struck me about him, and I can't remember if it was that trip or another trip, where we had a little bit of a delay getting on the buses. And Coach Ronnie, who doesn't ride our typical bus on the road, by the way, Coach Ronnie comes onto our bus with a trash bag. And he's like, hey, guys, you got any trash? And he's just, the head football coach is walking up and down the buses with trash bags to just help out. And your student athletes see that. Like, my head coach is willing to go through and clean up for this bus driver who now won't have to do this. And that's the kind of stuff, to me, that builds character and does not go unnoticed. He was also at the bottom of the, the gangway coming off the plane. Yes, when he we, was. When we, out of El Paso. When we landed in Norfolk, he was the first one you saw at the yep. bottom of the stairs. And that, that was pretty cool, too, because, A, not everybody does it. But it made you think about everybody tying and binding together through this adversity. And we had gotten home safely, and that was the main thing. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning. I mean, yeah. seeing the sunrise yeah. is kind of cool, but I'd really rather not. <laughs> just, not, just like not like that. So no, another tough road trip. It's always tough to uh, go to Huntington and play Marshall. Monarchs played arguably their best game of the year to that Ugh. point. And it was a, it, Marshall's a measuring stick. They've earned that from their expertise at the FCS level and once they've gotten to FBS level. And, and it's... Sort of a, a rivalry as well because they're closer to us than a lot of people are in the Conference USA. And this is a game the Monarchs led 13-6 with 33 seconds to go. Oh, my. <laughs> More yeah. play. And the thing was the play before they got the sack. They yeah. pushed Marshall yep. even further back. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, this is where it comes to an end, the, the, the end of the streak against FBS opponents. Oh, it was heartbreaking. It was 4th and 29 again. I'm sorry. Oh, it, it, it felt was like it. It f- absolutely it felt like it. I hate to say it. those words. Because, I mean, it was 30. When, when he crossed over the line, I looked up, and there's 33 seconds left. I'm like, 33 seconds. And you just got the sense that it's really going to be tough to it's keep It's bugging me right them. now. It's bugging me right now. Yeah, I'm telling you. It's really going to be tough to keep them out of the end zone when we go into this overtime thing. After they're coming off of, of coming off of that play, but we almost didn't get to overtime. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Should not have. I, I remember specifically Eric and I standing on the sidelines during that Nick Rice because you guys are always attempt. down there. James can do the post game interviews. Eric could yep. produce all the post game interviews. So you guys are always there at the end of the game. That's got to be weird. So Eric and I are, are leaning as the kick is in the air, oh, thinking there's yeah. no way, right? And it came just that whisper short, and I thought Eric was going to disintegrate into a puddle on the ground. It <laughs> so was, was There was so much disappointment there, I think to, for all of us, but I, it was just that I think you can look at the. I'd like to, if, if I was going to do a 30 for 30, let's go back to the last few plays of that. Yeah. I, 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 oh, think, yeah. I think we might have done something differently. learning stuff, because yeah. we were up in the booth. I remember we are like – you got to spike it. We got to get up. We got to yep. spike it so we can get one more play just to get a little bit closer. And then it, the clock just kept running and running. It's like, you got to spike it. And we gotta get, uh, now we just got to take the time out. And we're like, we could have had one more play. And there was an interception thrown in there, too, that, that, that led to the Marshall comeback as well, which, again, that's another heartbreaker, but uh, learning moments. And, Andy, you, you touched on it right there with the spike and the different play. At that point, you could tell. We did not trust our passing game. We threw for 106 on the yeah, game. We ran it. completed nine we passes. Had, yeah. yeah, we had that, like that led into that. We had a good, you know, two two timeouts or three timeouts and 30 seconds left and pretty good field position. We got up there and we ran it three times in a row, trying to get it into some sort of field goal range and didn't. <laughs> uh, the 58 yard field goal attempt just short. Nick Rice told this us his later, best kick of the that season. Was the be- his his best kick of the season. Uh, Felt better than the the fifty yarder where he he set a personal best on there, and uh, 
You leave Marshall with an overtime loss, 20-13. to 13. You're one and whatever at this point, and you've got Western Kentucky coming to town, and that's never an easy task. And, and uh, Hayden Wolf made his first start there. Monarchs down 30-3 to three at the half. Bailey Zappi we saw. I mean, from Houston Baptist, they brought the offensive coordinator <laughs> the and the quarterback offense. and the wide receiver, and they were really good that day. And sometimes it's like, okay, they had an ODU day. Against us, everybody – seems to do great most of the time uh they did well they did the rest of the season too and today bailey uh, zappy became college football's all-time touchdown pass leader in a season with 62 well you don't often see a guy that's going to throw for more yards in a season most teams have in a season i mean it was like six thousand yards or something it was just it was an insane number that he put up and we certainly saw that on full display and the Stearns brothers also, the receivers, that they didn't disappoint. And, well, one of the things that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, and you and Andy talked about this a lot during the game, was that Western Kentucky defense played up way higher yeah, that was, than well, that when was they the came in. That was the best game yep. that they had played defensively to that point in the season. And they were starting – I mean – Eight and five, seven and one in Conference USA. They were they were on a roll or yeah. starting to roll. They were just starting to roll. They, they, they were yeah. they were getting and you looked at their listen to their fans. They're thinking, yeah, it's a slow start, but we can still win the East. We can still win the, the, and this conference. Right. Well, and the week did. before they lost by six to UTSA, and they turned it over on the six yard line going in for the go ahead score. So they could all see what we just saw today. Yeah. Eric, yeah. Eric was the bye week after Western Kentucky. The bye week was after Western Kentucky. And as I've tried to gather information throughout this <laughs> entire season about, because everybody wants to know, everybody wants to know. Okay, you're one and six, and they end up six and six. Where did it all turn around? Where did the switch? Where, where, to hear Coach Ronnie say it more than once and twice and thrice, it was the bye week. It was the bye week where oftentimes you think of a bye week. I think okay. Guys are doing a lot academically, and they're, yeah, they're practicing and stuff. Maybe a little less practice, more academics or whatever. I think they really got to work this bye week and figured out and looked each other in, the, in their faces, and everybody looked in the mirror and said, this isn't us. We're one in six. That's not good enough. And, and I think the bye week really got the team better. Well, and, and during a bye week, you focus on yourself. Each week you focus on your opponent. You watch their film, all that stuff. During the bye week, you don't watch your opponent film. You watch yourself and you focus on yourself, you get in the weight room. And that's what this team really did, and what it also did is it gave Hayden Wolf a, a week where he knew he was the starter. He prepared like he was the starter anyway, but he knew it, an extra week to delve into the playbook, work on the coaches can see what Hayden does well, what he doesn't do well, and really focus on those things. It was injuries. Guys had a lot of injuries and were trying to come back, but it wasn't like anything that was like, a major piece hadn't played at all, and you know, miraculously he's back. It was just the nagging injuries that guys like Elijah Davis had been bothered by an ankle and been bothered by a knee, and it, it just never was a hundred percent. That bye week, he got as close to a hundred percent, I think, as he had been all year. And, and the same thing with even Watson. Watson got he, a little bit banged yeah. up, and he got to a hundred percent. Both of those guys were about as close to a hundred percent as they could have gotten coming out of that bye week and you saw the difference that it made once they got out there it was tough to stop both of them you talk about injuries the most difficult injury to deal with for the monarchs this year were the self-inflicted ones in their own foot oh i see what you did when in the early when, during the losing they, they a lot of self-imposed problems and that's had to hearten the coaching staff because they said we can correct this stuff we can stop beating ourselves with pre-snap penalties and those types of things, and we can turn it around. I'm sure that's one of the things they worked on during the bye and headed into Louisiana Tech. Well, and as a coach, you know a, a holding penalty is going to happen. You know, you know, a face mask is going to have. You're going to accidentally yeah. go up there and grab something. It's the false starts, the illegal formations, the offsides. Those are the ones where coaches will say, "Man, they're killing us. We have to stop those." And after the bye. Those happen a lot less. And Coach Ronnie would even say, you know, I like that the guys are being aggressive. You know, these you know late, late hits out of bounds, that's going to happen sometimes and things like that. The live but, ball stuff is one right. thing. The pre-snap is another. But, and, and, I, and, Eric, and that makes Eric's point even, even, even better because I think that that's something that you definitely saw get cleaned up. Louisiana Tech comes in, and it's the game that turned the season around. Uh, I love Lamarian James' kickoff return for a touchdown. Huge. I love the fact that that's, <laughs> he brings it from out of the end zone, where in this day and age it seems like everybody's taking fair catches from the 16 so they can get it at the 25. But he saw 
what he needed to see, and he realized what he was, and he turned on the freaking Jets. And I think his from the wherever it was, 30, 35-yard line cut to the middle and the other side yeah. of the field was just spectacular. I wanted to run with him. I just didn't think I'd be <laughs> I able to keep run up with on the right. No, heavens no, you, you couldn't the, the stuff that you've got to dodge on the sidelines, you know, when you're going from one side of the field to the other, down there where the players are, it's not easy, but I, I, was, I was jazzed. I, was, I, I wanted to go right down through that with him. It was, it was just amazing <laughs> another to guy see who, on field level. Another guy who did was Isaiah Harper. We yeah, talked we to him, talking about to him this, the other night. Yeah. He was going nuts, like, it, it's It takes well, we'll say guts to bring it out of the end zone <laughs> like that. Because, I mean, a lot of times the ball's just up in the air for so long. You're waiting for it to come down. You're waiting for it to come down. And it's not even how deep it is. It's where it is. If you've got to return right and it's coming down on the left, don't. You, you can't, yeah, you can't don't even think it. about it. you got to return left. And it comes down left. Suddenly, all right, well, maybe, maybe. And then you get a head of steam, a couple of blocks. He cuts it all the way back. Isaiah, he was, he was running down the sidelines <laughs> with him. And uh, he got it. And it was such a huge play because it was such huge momentum in a game where you feel like, you know, this is it. Everybody know you're back. If there's, if we're not going to be sitting here right now huh. in Myrtle Beach, That's if that true. play doesn't happen. That's true. Everybody knows that. So this is, is you got to win it or, you know, whatever. But that play had to happen, and he had it when it had to happen. He had the burst that we all knew he had, and he found it. You were talking about the play in the Marshall game that felt like fourth and 29. Do you feel like the Louisiana Tech faithful are sitting there with doing their podcast right now still talking about the fourth and three? <laughs> Yes, and that's the next play to come. So the, so the game's tied. Louisiana Tech has the ball, fourth down, three to go, Old Dominion 45-yard line. I've gone back and forth on this as to whether I would have punted the ball and hoped for overtime or gone for the win right there, which if you complete that pass, you get the field goal attempt and your guy can hit it from there. But what a, what a call. I mean, does it mean anything that the coach of the team is no longer there? Was this the beginning of the end for, for Skip Holtz? Eric, I mean, you usually look at these things a lot less emotionally than uh, Andy and, uh, and, and James and I do. We looked at it at the time, and it's, I thought it was a screwy call. Coach Ronnie backed him up 100%, but I thought it was a screwy call. Well, and the other thing, too, is it was the backup quarterback in the game. Yeah. And that's, for me, yes. Freshman. I think that right there is why I probably would have That's it. the thing that, that most fans and anybody watching on TV or even from a booth sometimes is like, well, that's the obvious call. Why are you not doing the obvious? Because there are things that you don't know. Yep. There are guys on the sidelines who may have just tweaked his ankle or something and, and you don't have him or maybe your wide receiver just puked in, in the back corner for whatever reason. You don't know that. You don't know that. Who knows? I mean. Is that what you did? Andy goes <laughs> to vomit. Let's, 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 let's mark this one on the, car, on the call. I'm there are a few, there sorry, are a few Andy, I couldn't that pass did. that one up. I did come into a game once because one of our guys vomited. So oh, like, well, you have to get into the, the game experience. somehow. He was looking at Andy's game film. No <laughs> Anyway, so uh, there we are against uh, Louisiana Tech. They decide to go for it. Fourth and three from the ODU 45. No good. The Monarchs go there. And another nifty thing I think about Coach Ronnie is the fact that he used his timeouts very well in that drive, oh, yeah. if, I, if I remember correctly. Maybe I'm just making this into a, a, a Hallmark well, movie. That, that was, again, just like the Marshall game. We kind of got in there close again. He didn't try to force it and, and throw passes that he didn't think were there. We hit one pass to Kuntz. And then we ran it three times in a row. And it, like Louisiana Tech was not expecting us to, to keep trying to run it. We got four yards, five, like a three yards, and it pushed the field goal just close enough. And finally Watson had that eight-yarder. And once again, you have to remember, it's still Hayden Wolfs. It's and it was only on his third second down. start of the season. It was yeah. like third and eight, and he it ran was, it. It was third and eight, and Watson got eight and just enough for that 46-yarder. You know, we talk about the, the field goal. It was not a chip shot. No. no. That was no. a 46-yard field goal, the same end with the missed extra point and, against Buffalo. And the ghost of Buffalo maybe well. exercised on that very play. No doubt about it. But the interesting thing I was going to bring up earlier about the Buffalo thing, if you're looking for a blueprint on how to not get a lot of heat after a really tough outing or a missed extra point, do what Nick Rice has done. And the relationship he had in the locker room, outside the locker room, you're rooting for the guy all the time because you love him. And obviously his teammates love him. And so that was just, he didn't go 1-0 right there. It's the next play. It's move on. Let's get on with this. There's nothing you can do about it. And I love the way that the team reacted he to that. He drilled that one, too. Oh, he, <laughs> he wasn't even yeah. close. Yeah. But how, many, how many kickers do you see that are team captains? 
Yeah, that, that tells you a lot. Very good Now, point. before we move on, the most important part ever of the season in any game happened in that game. The Fox. The oh, Rally the Fox. Fox. Rally Fox runs through the end zone, and the team doesn't lose again. And that was also the first game we played as a future member of the Sunbelt Conference. That is also true. What you're listening to is the Monarchs on the Road podcast, season one, episode number one. We are in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for the 2021 Myrtle Beach Bowl. Should someone find this at a time capsule in like 80 years? (laughs) Let's carry out here. We're here talking about the ODU football season, and it's fun for us, and it's neat for us. And one of the things we have to keep in mind is the fact that it's fun for us and neat for us even in defeat. So what we really want to do this for is the fan that really hit the decks for a while there because we still get to have – doing games is fun. No matter what happens out there, it's just fun. Uh, If you live through the one and six part and had a rough go of it, well, I hope you're extra happy now and extra joyful and taking advantage of the, the joy here because this is a team that has turned things around and I think provided a spark for the football program that perhaps hasn't been here in five years at least. They so were just a fun team to watch. Fun team to watch. I'm Ted Alexander. Andy Mishaw is along. James with him as well. Eric Bohannon, he's the behind-the-scenes guy for uh, odusports.com. He's writing. He's keep, he just keeps us all in, in Tells order. Ted what to say. Exactly. exactly. And thank God for that. Tells and, and Ted what not to say. It's more important. He yeah. also knows more about ODU football than anybody I know. So he's, he's around to uh, lend some credibility to this whole group. Uh, so then we go to FIU. Monarchs have broken the streak. They have a an FBS win for the first time since November of 2018 with that 23-20 victory over Louisiana Tech, albeit a La Tech team that would end up 3-9, and 2-6 and six in the league. So we go to FIU, another team that we know is having a rough go. Can we say FIU stinks? Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> FIU was bad, and we didn't know about the problems they had from inside in terms of you know, the, the players and the coaches and the, the coach and the administration and all those types of things. Is, would this be the end of Butch Davis for blah, blah, blah? Well, the Monarchs had a 24-10 to 10 lead after one, and suddenly the offense was clicking. They ended up with 565 yards and a 47-24 victory. It's, it was a really nice win. One of those wins we were talking about earlier, hammer the teams you're supposed to beat. And with Watson and Davis both going over 100 yards rushing, they did. Yeah, and I think that... That was one of those games where you had a couple of feel feel good moments too, right? You had Darius Savage, who had been battling injuries all year long, gets what was I think the longest touchdown pass of the season, longest offensive play well, of the they, year, longest offensive play of the year from from Hayden Wolf, and just a beautiful play. And it wasn't one of those; it wasn't a you know a, a huge bomber. He had to break some break some tackles, you know, maybe a few ankles along the way, and, and get himself into the end zone. It was just really good to see that. I think that was another game where Elijah Davis had a nice long run after again battling so many injuries. And, you know, it's not like the FIU offense had scrubs on it. I mean, no. Max Bortenschlager was yep. a legit quarterback at the time, and they had some deep threats too. So to hold them to 10 points, not just win the game, but to hold them to the 10 points I think says a lot as well. It's another special teams touchdown, or a defensive touchdown, actually, that one for uh, CD and <laughs> his first of two on the season. Yes, DBs. DV well, Harris goes in with the pick. And the defense had played well throughout much of the – the season, but until this game, they really hadn't forced turnovers. Yeah, and this game they forced turnovers. Obviously, the pick six with DV, but in the first quarter, you know, ODU scores first, and then they force the turnover. We finally saw the defense force some turnovers, and that just really flips the momentum when the defense can do that. Some of the crazy plays you're talking about reminds me of our Monarchs on the Road podcast, season one, episode two which will be available at fine stores everywhere. Uh, It's the top ten plays of the year, plus the honorable mentions. What we're going to do is we're just going to have one solo podcast talking about the plays of the year. So if you can hear this, go to the same place you're hearing this and hear that. It's the Monarchs on the Road Season 1. Eric, if you keep scratching that microphone, I'm going to go nuts over there. Uh, Here's the inside baseball. This is this, this is I this mean, is the road. He's, all he's, the way he's to... sitting there. He's 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 fidgety a little bit. I understand. I'm fidgety too. But just keep it away from the mic. All things considered, Eric's the only one who doesn't have real headphones, and he has to hold this his is mic. True. This okay? is true. So so he's he's working at a, at a, at a deficit there. But stop it. <laughs> 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 and on we go. <laughs> FAU comes to. 
Kornblau Field at S.B. Ballard Stadium. Weirdest game ever nominee. Five hours in a car of this with you two in the oh, front yeah, seat. That, it happens this, every this week. This is what folks. it's like. This, <laughs> this is, is exactly what, what it's every like. Every week. <laughs> Stop with the chips. Stop. <laughs> no, go right. No, go left. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, go to that bowling lanes. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. Oh, no oh, one knows why that's gosh. funny, but they will maybe someday. <sighs> oh, boy. Not if I can help it. <laughs> Eric sent people to the wrong place. It's as simple as that. We're still everybody's fine. Everybody, everybody lived. Uh, so FAU, and isn't it interesting? We're getting a little zanier as the FAU. Game well, that's why it's, Holy it's, it's in the air. You just get near it. It's the weirdest game ever. It's a nominee for that with two safeties, a blocked extra point for a two point conversion, and a two point conversion. And this this was just a desperately important game. So the Monarchs had the had the vibe, the mojo going. They'd won two in a row. FAU coming to town. It was just the first quarter of that game was just strange. This, this was the test because, yeah, we had to beat Louisiana Tech because we only played them twice and we beat them both times. And yes, it was a close game, but you know they didn't have the greatest record. Then FIU is FIU. You go down there; it's tough because it's you got to go all the way down there and then you have to deal. It's just with, a weird, weird place to have. Yeah, but now you're coming back and now you're playing a team that's got the same kind of record that you yep. do and you're playing a team who's playing for the same kind of thing that you're playing for and it's going to be a pretty equal battle and so now you got to get it real you know it's it's got to be down 3 nothing FAU Monarchs had the first safety to make it 3-2 then they had the second safety to make it 4-3 in the fourth they led <laughs> 11-3 at the half and win the game 30 to 16 Watson Fifth straight game over 100 yards. And those are some, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it's just the way football is now with so much emphasis or initial attention to the passing game. But you get a guy like Watson ripping off 100-yard games, and when Elijah Davis did it at the same time, it was incredible. You can change things. You can change the way the whole vibe of the game goes. Well, and Blake wasn't reeling off 20, 30, 40-yard runs at a time. A former wide receiver, not an overly big guy, he was grounded and pounded four, three, five-yard runs which was really impressive i will tell you that nobody runs harder than blake watson i could tell you that from field level and i nobody took the losses more personally i don't think than blake watson when i would see him after the game and he was just legit angry when they would lose games and that's and that's one of the things i loved about him like i want him to be angry i want him to be uncomfortable and he took that energy and instead of letting it go the other way it just motivated him to be better and to grind these out. And I think that that was, again, something that from those losses just made him grind even harder to just start rattling off these 100-yard games. Many times, success in football leads to puffiness. And puffiness can be a good thing to motivate the other guys on the bench and the fans and the stands and that type of thing. Eric, I'm not sure... If there's anything more to get puffy about than when your defense tackles a dude in the freaking end zone and and just and then forces another intentional grounding from the end zone. It's like you're in my house, that ain't happening. Well, and I tried to do some research on this and I really had a tough time because it doesn't happen. Ever. <laughs> I think two thousand and three was the last time a conference USA team had two safeties in the same game. Didn't find a whole lot of more information <laughs> because it it just doesn't exist and and the first one was, was great because Marcus Haynes just sacked Nikosi Perry in the end zone. The second one was kind of weird because it was the intentional grounding and you really didn't get that tackle in the end zone. But but just both are just nuts because you just don't see that. And then the two additional two-point plays just made a, a crazy game just wacky. It gets lo- and what get, gets lost in all this is the last one was a hook and lateral yeah. type play to Watson to get that final that, two-point conversion. That's right. The other ones were so spectacular, but that's pretty darn spectacular, too. You don't and, see and that. You're, and you're going to tell me R.T. Johnson's return of the extra yeah. point attempt well, yeah. 100 the, yards? The thing about it? this game is unbelievable. it's a lot closer than the score says it was. Yeah. Because, I mean, that, that blocked extra point was huge because, I mean – Owls go down, they score, they're climbing their way back into yep, this thing, yep. and suddenly they get all the momentum, and then the momentum, you, you just dump water on it, and he runs it the other way for two. Well, and the cool thing about the Henderson blocked extra point is earlier in the game, oh, yeah, you he should right have blocked one. Yeah. It went right through his hands. The coaches still think he has a hole in his body because <laughs> he didn't block it. <laughs> it went right and, through. And then for He's him, a good ghost. <laughs> and then for him to get the second one and the return, 
uh, by Artarian Johnson for 80 yards was just incredible. Oh, my, oh, my. So the Monarchs beat FAU 30-16. to 16. They are now, what, four and six, two games left on the regular season schedule. And you get to – we're fans. We're allowed to start thinking about bowls whenever we want. And at four and six, with Middle Tennessee that had been down just a bit but sort of on the same wavelength as us, and Charlotte, who knows what's going to happen against then, it suddenly, I think, became a little bit more real. And that's when I started kind of hinting at that to the players when I was talking about, like, do, do you think, you know – you might be able to go on a run and and in true to form, like you were just trying to go one and zero every week. And here, that's the thing. I've said this at a couple other places this week. It's one thing to say that when you're one and and four, everybody says, "Oh yeah, we're just going to go one. We're just going to look at the next opponent. We're going to put this behind us." It's an entirely different thing to say that when you've gone on a three game winning streak yeah. and you are two games away to say we're just going to go one and zero. It's really difficult to do. But not only did they they say that. They believed it. They bought into it. And then you get to your old nemesis. Middle Tennessee, never beaten before. Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee State University in lovely Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Came in trying to get to bowl eligibility just like we were. Uh, it, it was another tight ball game. Tough place to play. Uh, Reed Blankenship, he's finally going to get his degree, I hope, and use up his <laughs> eligibility. Yeah, we can only hope. He's, he's been great, there for been a great player, years. making plays every time Oldman rolls in. Emeritus at this point. 10-10 going into the fourth quarter. Eric, what do you remember about that game? Uh, I mean, obviously a tight one. Well, it's one another game where they, they're deleting the nation in turnovers uh, and creating turnovers. Creating turnovers in Old Dominion. I don't remember. I don't think we Turn, did. I don't think we turned it over. No, no, that was a game that, that that secondary played a lot of head games with the quarterback because they, they didn't get turnovers by accident. I mean, they got turnovers by disguising coverages, by shifting guys around, making you think you're seeing one thing, and then you snap it, and it's a completely different thing, and you're throwing into way more guys than you thought you were before the snap was. And for Hayden Wolf to be able to, to sit in there, know that was coming, and Let's be honest, they had been a lot of turnovers for Old Dominion at that point. And so you're looking at a team that has a tendency to turn it over versus a team that thrives on taking it away. We're going into this thing going, oh, man, this is, oh, this is a good recipe. But he put it together and was not fooled by anything they did. The coaches had their, their game plan set, and they executed it. And the game turned on the first play of the fourth quarter. Middle Tennessee's lining up for a chip shot, 26-yard field goal. Low snap, the holder does a poor job of catching yes. it. Rolls to his right. Artarian Johnson's there to tackle him. No points. You think you're going to have a, take a 13-10 lead. You get nothing. Old Dominion drives down. Elijah Davis scores the 45-yard touchdown run. Old Dominion never looks back. Mm. Unbelievable stuff. Games turning on those single plays. We'll count down the top plays of the year on the Monarchs on the Road podcast season one, episode two. We hope you Look for that. Also, if anybody grabs this before the Toyota pregame show, before the bowl game, we'll also count down the top 10 plays of the year. So the Monarchs take care of Middle Tennessee 24-17. A wonderful force fumble from Jason Henderson, and Epps recovers, ended Middle Tennessee's chances late, and we ruin their opportunity for bowl eligibility on that particular day and get one step closer. And then it's one game against Charlotte. I don't know if it's playoffs begin. It, it's, yep. a play, it's it's a it's a playoff game. Is Charlotte's arrival? Ah, they seem it, to be a little like bit. It feels like they should be, but they're I not. I don't think they are. If if I were to say, I think that you were you were pretty close with Marshall. I think if we had, a, if I was to pick a rival in the conference, I would say Western Kentucky, I would only say because too. things have always gotten chippy against Western Kentucky. There's been some screwy games against them, and even though they're not as close to us geographically, if we had a rival, I, I would say it, would, it was them. So what we're going to do is edit out this part when we're out of Conference USA and they're still in that league, <laughs> and we go to the others? I, yeah. I, just, I, I think on the football field, I, I, I agree, I'm just joshing, but I, I think on the football field, the games against Charlotte, be it the Hurricane game that was played on the Thursday when you thought funky, it would be played yeah. on a Wednesday, yeah. and another game was what, Eric, 9-6 or something? 6 nothing. the only six shutout nothing. in Old Dominion yeah. history. Oh, my God. Nick Rice with the game winner. <laughs> what, a six-point field goal? <laughs> uh, anyway, so we took on Charlotte, both teams at 5-6. Uh, and six. Both teams needing a win for bowl eligibility. Winner moves on, we hope. Loser goes home. It had uh, just, just the, the playoff feel about it, and it, it was good. It was a little disappointing not, in, not seeing that the, the roof coming off S.B. Ballard Stadium. 
quite honestly, I, I thought I thought we should have had more people there. The, the those that were there, like they always are, were into it. Uh, wish we had more. But once the ball's kicked off, you can't worry about that stuff. You play football and you announce football. And those that were there were into it, and it was a good ball game. Yeah, it was. I mean, both teams knew what they were there fighting for. They, they, I mean, Charlotte fighting tooth and nail just like we were. Yep. And I think we knew Reynolds, the quarterback, who had had wonderful games this year, also had wonderful disasters happen to him. And early on it did. And that was a game where you saw one of our seniors really step up and make a big play early in JoJo Heaton with well uh, with eighty how many eighty something yards eighty nine yeah. yards eighty nine yard return and 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 I I remember saying you want you really wanted to take that one to the house didn't you oh, and, oh, oh. just a little <laughs> just short but you know again you're looking for what what lights the spark right and, and that was that was a good one because he picked that off in the end zone and they and were was, rolling they were yeah, rolling they were we, rolling we hadn't slowed him down much in that drive at all until then. But, Eric, we, we saw him at the press conference. They asked him about that interception. And th- this is why you just got to love being around the program and love these kids because he's sitting there going, they said, you, you think you should have gotten in? Yes, I should have gotten in. What would you have done? I would have gone right. <laughs> he, he was zigging and zagging like a, like a drunk mosquito at a picnic there at the end. Then. Well, and he was at a press conference this past week before we left for the Myrtle Beach Bowl, and they're still giving him crap about it. <laughs> and yeah. his teammates that game giving... was three weeks ago, yeah. and he's still getting – crap from his teammates about it and that's a team right there you you know you can give some fun love to your teammate about getting tackled short and in classic old dominion fashion in 2021 the score comes on a big man touchdown <laughs> how <laughs> that about that would, oh my goodness it's it's uh nick saldaveri and we heard a read a wonderful story written by harry minimum about nick and his story and what a, what a great guy and he made a great play on that play yeah, we were talking to him the other day about it, and he's like, he was he supposed to chip on a lineman and go out and get a linebacker, and he was pushing that linebacker like into the end zone. He says he looks back and he can see the back coming, and then he sees it and the ball just kind of dribbles right out in front of him. Like, well, that can't be good. <laughs> Maybe I should go get that. And if he doesn't block his guy so well, he into is the not end zone. there to yeah. fall on the ball. That's his, that's his first touchdown ever in any level of football. Perfect time for it. Perfect time for it. And suddenly the, the Monarchs are in business in a huge, a huge contest there. Old Dominion, a 28-7 lead. They were tied at 28-28. Ali Jennings, just a, a superb uh, contest from start to finish. But there was an opportunity for the Monarchs. You know, they're, they're rolling the places into it, et cetera. Give Charlotte credit for hanging in there, making plays to get back into it. And sometimes, I remember a basketball coach told me this. Because I asked him, I, I said, what, what was it like blowing the 15-point lead? I mean, come on. He goes, the way, I, I said, what do you think during that? Why did you just, is there anything you do to stop it? He said, well, what, we, what happens then is what you have to think about is the fact that you're glad you had the 15-point lead. They might have come back, but you had that equity in the bank for a while. Now it's time to get back to it. So that's the way you have to look at it. Monarchs built the 21-point lead against Charlotte, blew it all, and it was up for grabs, tied at 28. And it was one of those times where the shoe hadn't been on the other foot for this team for a while. They were the ones that, are, that were constantly having to come back and erase deficits. So what do you do when the script gets flipped on you and now you're the ones trying to stave off a team who also wants the same thing that you do in that moment. And the way that they answered that bell so incredibly and outscoring Charlotte in that fourth quarter and a quarter where, you know, the Monarchs have done quite well already this up to the point this season in, in that in that stretch run for them to be able to show that poise. And, and I hate to use the term again, but handle their business down the stretch. I thought that was really impressive. And you go with the guy that got you there, your bell cow, Blake Watson, three-yard run to give ODU the 35-28 lead. Charlotte kicked a couple field goals. Watson, another touchdown. And then the player of the game, the Oyster Bowl MVP, Ali Jennings, just nine for 252, three incredible touchdowns, and just a whale of a game, exclamation point with his final Where score. Wearing his cousin's jersey. And- <laughs> That's yeah. right, wearing his cousin's jersey. Isaiah Page, who was 10. injured the week before, number 10, he – uh, took off the zero for the 10. Uh, and then let's not forget T.V. Harris's scoop and score yeah, to uh, to wrap up the scoring, his second touchdown of the year. This, this is why I think I gave a couple more points to Charlotte and the rival thing. That game is what you make rivalries out of. Yes. Yeah. A game for everything, 
a game where both team has successes, where both teams have it all on the line, and one team wins. I think that that's the ingredient. The, the, the interesting thing about that is, though, is that when will we play Charlotte again now? That, that's the crazy part because you're right. That, these are the kind of games that it's make It's a drivable non-conference game. We could yeah. play there next year if we're still in Conference USA. That's, that's true. We'll have to see. I, I think rivalries, we we got some, some potential coming up for some oh, rivalries. Yeah. No we might it. be in this that city right now. You never know. But the, the thing is you, you can't fake them. You can't. No. They, they have to be organic rivalries. And one of the ingredients, and it's, it's a multi-ingredient dish, is time and history. And those types of things. If we could come here and win this bowl game and be one and zero on this field, yeah, when we come know. down here to play Coastal Carolina again, we'll be one on on their field. I think and bring the big, some people, and yeah, we'll bring yeah. some people. We're already one and zero against that team. Yeah, too, I think the, the big the big one here coming up is is going to be playoffs. Yep. is going to be Georgia Southern. Thank you, Josh Norman. ODU finishes six and six, five and three in Conference USA, which kind of goes under the radar. We were like what third in the East or yeah. something. We- uh, bowl eligible, won the last five games to get in. And so here we are in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We know we were taking up a lot of your time. We hope you enjoy this. This is the Monarchs on the Road podcast. We haven't talked about being on the road yet, so we're kind of being... Uh, well, maybe you're listening on the road on the way down. There yeah. we go. There's a good idea. Eric, can you get it posted fast enough? Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Maybe so, do it on the road. On the it'll go back. to the right place, I assure the, you. The thing is, there's so many stories that we've uncovered since we've been here, just living life and, and the fact that this team, with that win over Charlotte, made this possible. All right? So you wait a little bit. You're thinking the vibe you're hearing around campus is the fact that they're going to get in. All right? The story's too good. There are too many bowls. We'll, we're going to get in. So you're thinking, holy smokes, we're going to a bowl with this team? This is fabulous. And the fact that it's the Myrtle Beach Bowl means it's close for everybody. And we've had an opportunity to come down here. We came down uh, on Thursday before the Monday game. And it's just, it's been a lot of fun, unlike a year ago, which we mentioned in one of our reports. None of the fun in games happened last year with COVID. So teams that went would treat it like a regular game where they'd fly in the day before and fly out afterwards. And that's not a bowl experience. No. That's not what anybody wants, and that's what the Mon- not what the Monarchs have had this week. It's been fun. It's It's been tiring for all of us because we're running around covering all these things going on. Uh, but it's, it's, it's neat. And the fact that we were able to drive here, and you know that our fans are able to drive here if they can, uh, it, it's a wonderful thing because this hasn't happened in a while, and the only other time it happened in history, you had to take a plane or a boat yeah. to get there. With a passport. <laughs> This is what we want to do this time of the year. We want to do these interviews. We want to do these podcasts because it means you're playing in a bowl game. And this is the goal. Yeah, as much as I loved Atlantis, uh, you know, being walking distance to everything, it was great when we got there. I mean, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. It was the aquarium and all that stuff was great. But for your rank and file fan, you get no shot, no chance to get there. And now this is it. This is as good as it gets, man. This is the closest bowl game we've got. It should be rolling, man. It's going to be very interesting because the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, I don't know what people think about this team, whether they think off the top of their head without thinking about it. Yeah, they're pretty good, or they think, eh, eh. I don't know, but you look at this team, they're pretty good. They're 6-6. Six and six. They won three in a row to get in here. They are 5-3 and three overall. It's their 23rd bowl appearance. Uh, they played in their last bowl was uh, the Armed Forces Bowl in 2020. Last year, they lost to a Mississippi State 28-26, and they're pretty good. They've taken some hardcore teams really to the, hard, yeah. to the wire, man. Let's they, just go to go down the list for a second. They played Oklahoma State. They lost, played Ohio State. Lost by State. five. Got 41-20 was Ohio State. They played Houston. Got waxed 45-10. Maybe a team you've heard of, Cincinnati, who's going to the college football the one, playoff. One possession game. And yeah. probably should have won that game. First and goal for... Tulsa from the three-yard line, one minute and 11 seconds left against Cincinnati. They fumble on fourth down. The Bearcats remain unbeaten on their way to college football playoff, and it's another one of those tough, tight ball games. Tulsa was one of just two teams to play Cincinnati in a one-score game, the other one Navy, and they played Ohio State. That was 41-20 game, but that was close till late in the fourth quarter. This is a good team. It's a confusing team because we talked about yeah. all those teams and all those close games, and they also lost to FCS UC Davis. 
They lost some games that you would probably scratch your head and be like, well, what were they doing Boston Navy had a rough year this year. Yeah. So they're 6-6. Six and six. They're also 5-3 and three in the American Athletic Conference. Tough conference. Power 6, as they call them. Like oh, no, 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 no. Please think us that way. So this should be a fun contest. Really looking forward to this matchup. SMU was their last game. They needed a win to get bowl eligible. Tough SMU team, got off to the yeah. really fast start, and everybody's talking about them maybe uh, rattling swords with Cincinnati and the like. Uh, SMU led at 17 nothing. Give Tulsa credit for not folding their tent there. Remember, if you, if you aren't into it, you fold your tent there, your season's over, that's fine with you if you're folding your tent. They didn't. And they came back and won 34-31, uh, fourth comeback win of the year. And so I think this is going to be a formidable team. And, and just quickly, a couple of the guys to uh, keep an ear out for these, uh, these teams, for Tulsa. Their quarterback is Davis Brin, 16 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. Seems to he, He's comfortable on the run making throws, but he's not quite as accurate perhaps as, he's want, as he'd want to be. Yeah, he's, he's got the – the skills to be mobile, but he doesn't seem to act like he's mobile. It, it's kind of an odd scenario with him. He can be very accurate, or he can be very not accurate, depending on those, those interceptions. And it's just kind of the way this whole team has been. It's either they play to the level of their competition, it's either they're all great or they're all not. And it, it's kind of funky. Josh Johnson, uh, James, has been on your radar for a while. The wide receivers got a boatload of 100-yard games. And he really came on late, too, and that's the thing that kind of scares you when you're heading into this game because you know that this team, this Tulsa team, really likes to run the ball. But then you look up, and all of a sudden there's Josh Johnson, and holy smokes, he's in the end zone every, almost every game of the last four games of the season. He's racking up 100-yard games. This is a team that's very much you know like some of the teams that we've played over the year is that they love to run the ball but when they throw it it's bombs away they do run it well eric uh coach ricky ronnie's talking about jackson player all week long he's a, a nose tackle number 90 and you know just a tackle for loss machine and he's just one of those really good defensive linemen and 12 and a half tackles for loss 13 pro football focus all american pro mm. football focus really focuses on the the uh, under-the-radar stats, uh, so he's really good in those categories. And they're also very good on the offensive line. Offensive and defensive line, very good for Tulsa. That's where their all-conference players came from. Also, Old Dominion strength, offensive and defensive line. Tyaris Stevenson is the, the mountain of a man that Ricky's been yeah, talking about card. as nose tackle. Another really athletic, big guy that takes up a lot of space and can make plays. Yeah, I think this whole thing... Both sides of the ball is going to be a huge deciding factor of what happens between the tackles. Their offensive line has got some big boys on it, man. There's some big corn-fed Midwestern boys on that, and they will shove you around. And that's why they have such a good running back squad with Shamari Brooks back there. And they go three deep in that, that in Prince, and, and they, they can run it Watkins back there. Too. And Watkins, yes, yeah, the third one. And our defensive line is – they're good, but their tackles are our tackles are young and they're not the biggest. If we can be pushed around a little bit, I know Sequoia McDuffie has made <laughs> he made point out that he's now over three hundred pounds. He wants, he wants to make sure everybody knows that he's now over three hundred pounds. But of the they would go four deep in there, but he may be the only one that's over three hundred pounds of the four guys that rotate in and out of there. So they're gonna have to stand there. They've done it all season, but they're gonna have to stand their ground. They're gonna have to use technique and, and speed to get through this offensive line, because if they get the stranglehold on you, man, get this running game going, it's going to be tough to stop them. They average like 27 points, give up 28 points, one of those types of things. And, and statistically, they aren't going to dazzle you. But you watch them on tape, and they can make some plays, and they make explosive plays with, as Annie mentioned, Brooks and Watkins. Watkins took a, t a kick back for a touchdown. Johnson, for, sort of like the sheriff guy from uh, the brothers from uh, Western Kentucky, he can make touchdowns from anywhere in the field. And I think the, the interesting thing will be here, it's a great matchup. It's a really good matchup. The ACC thinks it's our big brother for some reason or another. Fine. Uh, power five. <laughs> ACC. AAC. Come on. Um, but I'm looking forward to this thing. And I think what we have to remind each other and everyone about is the fact that this team's been rolling. Win, lose, or draw on Monday. And the Monarchs are an underdog. A decided underdog. If, if I'm not sure the terminology. Nine-point nine underdog. About right a nine, so that's decided underdog. Uh, win, lose, or draw. This has been a great year. Yeah. This has been a great year because I know 
And when you get to this point in the season, sometimes you don't. But I know this team's going to give its all on Monday, and they're going to leave it all on the field, cliche-wise. And, and so we can be proud of them for the effort. This team has fought so hard all year long to get to this point. And even before this point, even during the losing streak, you could see the fight in these guys, and they wanted to win so badly. And as a fan... As long as you think, think about it, you're sitting listening to this, as long as you've been watching football and consuming it, your teams have been good at times and been bad at times, whether it be on the pro level or the college level. But all you really want as a fan is that just effort till the end, till that clock hits zeros. And if this team has done one thing well throughout the entire season, I think it's that. What do you think, Eric? Final thoughts as we get into the near hours before the Myrtle Beach Bowl. I just can't wait. I'm excited that we're playing a team we haven't played before. You know, Tulsa, we've seen Tulsa on TV. Zayvon Collins, first-team All-American linebacker last year, Buckus Award winner, first-round pick, so we know a little bit about Tulsa. Can't wait for this game. Just so excited to finish the season in a bowl game for the first time in five years. What do you think, Andy? I'm just glad we're not playing Eastern Michigan again for the yeah. fourth time. <laughs> Liberty got that honor. Hey, we got the weird-colored field. We do, we do have, have a weird-colored field. It should be interesting, and we want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in. Why you stung, uh, stuck with us this long, I have no idea, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, it's the Monarchs on the Road podcast. That boring. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're going to make some history at the Myrtle Beach Bowl, and we certainly hope you uh, join us for it, be it via the ODU Sports Radio Network or down here in the Grand Strand in the Palmetto State. But for James Witham and Eric Bohannon and Andy Mishaw, this is Ted Alexander. Good night from the Monarchs on the Road podcast, episode one of season one.